All right, everyone. For your next encounter, I have a prop. Uh, dude, why is your kitten here? Come on, it's a displacer beast. Uh, you know I'm allergic to cats, right? And, I'm sorry, did you paint its fur blue? Um... And, are those Barbie legs taped to its stomach? Okay, okay, fine, fine. Let's, let's scratch that. Here's your next challenge. Um, is that, is that pudding? Yeah, chocolate flavored. It's meant to represent the black pudding you're fighting. What? Wait, where are you going? To get a spoon. That pudding looks delish. This time on Becoming DM, it's yet another installment of My Favorite Monster. Hey guys, this is Felicia. And this is John. And as we stated before, we have got another episode of Our Favorite Monsters. Yep, this is the third in the series of the My Favorite Monster series, and mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to it. There's a there's a few monsters in there um, that I haven't necessarily w- worked with before, so I'm kind of excited to talk to them a little bit. Yep, same with me. Uh, when we each chose our individual monsters, I think that was kind of the <laughs> the perception on each end. Like, oh yeah, I'd never used those or heard of those. So, um, without further ado, let's get into it. Um, and I, I was think the first start- one is yours. I was going to say, yeah, like I was going to start with one of my favorite picks. So the Shambling Mound. Um, So being the plant mom that I am, um, of course, I felt a natural inclination towards something that would be vegetative, I guess. Uh, And the Shambling Mound is actually a really fun monster. Um, But essentially that just this big animated pile of, well, vegetation. (laughs) Um, It's stats. It's a large creature. Um, And just a couple of things, you know, it tends to do really well um, in swamp areas, but you can find it in the woods as well. Uh, And, you know, its tendency is pretty much to eat anything it comes across. So it tends to be that its surroundings will be pretty quiet because most things have either run away from it or have been eaten by it. So now are we that. sure that it's not just eating things because it wants a quiet area? <laughs> <laughs> right. It wants peace and quiet. Gosh darn it. Get off my lawn. And, and I will say the thing that uh, I, the thing that interested me in this uh, was actually the opposite to you. I, I kind of uh, clued into it once you sent it over to me because I am not good with plants and this is a giant <laughs> rotting pile of animated vegetation. <laughs> so it's right? like, oh, that's my stuff. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Um, now this is really funny because before we talked about a swamp dragon, so it's, <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there that perhaps within that vicinity, you can have a shambling mound and a swamp dragon. It just seems like they'd coexist just fine. Just saying. You avoided the swamp dragon, but <laughs> oh, you came across the oh, shambling no. mound. <laughs> out of the pot, into the fire. <laughs> um, so just a couple of basic stats. So for D&D, it's CR rating is going to be a five. Uh, or I thought that was, yeah, a five. Yes. Sorry, I'm getting my monsters mixed up here. And then for Pathfinder, you said it was a six, right? Yep, yep. And I've noticed a, uh, a bit of a discrepancy or a bit difference between D&D and Pathfinder is that you guys on your end of Pathfinder seem to have higher numbers in strength and constitution. So mine's an 18, while yours is a 21. Uh, constitution in D&D is a 16, while it's 17 in Pathfinder. 
Uh, and then, of course, in intelligence, not the smartest of creatures. So you've got a CR or of uh, sorry, not CR. Um, an intelligence. I'm getting everything mixed up today. An intelligence of <laughs> five with Pathfinder at seven, and a Dex of eight and ten, respectively. So fun numbers for any of you guys that are interested in those stats. Um, the biggest ones that I think uh, really are of significance is your um, AC. So for D&D, it's a 15. For Pathfinder, it's a 19. Uh, and the biggest discrepancy I noticed between the two is actually it's hit points. So you've got 136 hit points for D&D. Quite a lot. And only yep, 67. And about half of, yeah, about half of that. Um, yeah. Um, so it, I guess it helps to have that higher AC and, uh, and some <laughs> yeah. of those higher stats. Uh, so yeah. It kind of balances out, I think, either way. But regardless, I think a pretty challenging, um, pretty challenging monster to come across. So uh, when it comes to uh, its abilities, so for D&D, one thing I loved about the uh, Shambling Mound was its lightning absorption. So not only does it not take any damage from lightning attacks, it actually gets stronger every time you hit it with lightning. So whatever the amount of damage that was supposed to be dealt, that instead is what it gains in hit points. And I always thought that was a very fascinating thing for a shambling mound, especially when I was, my crazy over-analytical brain was thinking about, well, how, why though? Why, why lightning of all <laughs> things? How does lightning make a shambling mound stronger? But then, of course, you think of the origins of a shambling mound and it makes sense. So yep. um, Pathfinder, you had something else, right? Yeah, so it's very similar. It's called Electric Fortitude and, and mm-hmm. also takes no damage from electricity. Uh, but instead of regaining hit points, it increases the constitution score by 1d4 points. So um, while not specifically granting it more hit points directly, it could potentially, as their as their constitution score increases, add some con bonuses to give them additional hit points there. Mm-hmm. Um and they do, it's not a permanent bonus. They do lose those at a rate of uh, one hour after after they've gained them. Mm, gotcha. Um, and I think in both cases, right, swamps tend to give shambling mounds uh, an advantage in stealth, correct? Well, in, in Pathfinder, they get a, uh, if they're in a swamp and they're using stealth, they get a plus 16 um, mm-hmm. to their stealth skill. Uh, where D&D, they don't necessarily get a, a situation-specific bonus. They just get a plus two to stealth in to general. Stealth. Um, yeah. So um, Pathfinder, they're definitely well-suited to uh, to sneaking around the swamp. Mm-hmm. And as I think uh, tends to be my predisposition uh, towards choosing creatures with more than one attack, the Shambling Mound falls right into that category of a multi-attack. So um, it has a grapple or a grabbing ability, and then it engulfs. So that's one of the things I loved about it was that it grabbed you, and then it just started squeezing the life out of you as it absorbs you. Uh, and I think that was pretty cool. Um, but if you wanted to avoid, say, you know, your players wanted to avoid the the first part of that attack, which was the grappling aspect, um, it would be a DC 14, and you can use strength or dex, your athletics or acrobatics, to avoid that grapple. Um, so, you know, your players can choose. Uh, Pathfinder, what was it that you guys had for that? Uh, the combat maneuver bonus versus, mm-hmm. and I never remember what CMD stands for, but the CMD <laughs> value of, uh, it's a contested, contested role there. Uh, and it mm-hmm. is considered a grab. So, 
um, if you follow the uh, ever so convoluted grapple chart in, in Pathfinder, uh, it does have a grab ability, so that avo- uh, allows it to avoid that attack of opportunity when it does um, does grab you. Mm. And if you find, or your players happen to find themselves in the very unfortunate position of being grappled, uh, it's going to take additional damage uh, at the start of the mound's turn. Um, and that's going to continue until it manages to um, get out. But the good thing is, is that your mound can only take one person at a time. So no room for more than one. Uh, now, anything you want to add to that by a chance? No, no. No? Okay. <laughs> so just don't don't get grappled, you know, and then don't get engulfed. So I think it's pretty pretty straightforward strategy for a shambling mound. Um, the other thing that it can do... Uh, is a slam. It's a, a melee weapon attack. So it's a plus seven to hit. And it has to be, of course, within that five feet. Um, it's a bludgeoning damage. So just another little extra thing that the Shambling Mound can do. Um, so now, now with, with regards to Pathfinder, they do have to perform both of those slam attacks. And if they mm-hmm. if they achieve both, if they hit on both those slam attacks, then they then they grab. Um, and that's where, mm-hmm. where you can roll against the, do the, the, uh, uh, the role of uh, CMB versus CMD, but um, that is their multi-attack is the, is the two slam uh, mm-hmm. within the Pathfinder system. Yep. And, and really quick note on the engulfing as well for D and D it's going to be a DC 14 constitution saving throw uh, is what you're going to need to do. Um, otherwise you'll take that 13 bludgeoning damage or a 2d8 plus four, just your choice. Um, and of course, if your player is stuck within that shambling mound, wherever it goes, your player goes. So, um, one of the things I really do like about the shambling mound is just its its immunities. It's got quite a few. Um, so, lightning immunity. We mentioned this before. You know, not only does it not take attack, it actually gains strength. Uh, it's resistant to cold. It's resistant to fire. Um, it's uh, also it's got condition immunities. So, blind. Uh, deafened. It can't be blinded or deafened. Uh, it's got, you know, it's it's got immunity against exhaustion, uh, and of course, it's got um, blind sight of sixty feet. So, just a couple of few extra little stats there when it comes to uh, your shambling mound. We mentioned before when it comes to encounters that you'll more often find them in swamps. Uh, a few little personality traits is that they're mostly solitary creatures. I don't think I've ever had an instant where. There was like a pack of shambling mounds. That would be a very scary situation, I think. Yeah, in uh. <laughs> in the Pathfinder lore, there's actually um, on the in the in the bestiary, it mentions that um, on rare occasions you can find where shambling mounds have congregated amongst an earthen mound. But they don't really give much detail around it. It just kind of is mentioned as a hey, this is a possibility. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Um. Uh, okay, so we were in our discussion. We were talking about path uh, about uh, shambling mounds, and you had brought up a very interesting topic in their uh, preference of uh, prey. And oh yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so uh, again, in the in the Pathfinder bestiary, it does say that they have a preference for elves uh, when it comes to <laughs> eating. So, um, so something to keep in mind as you as you have them uh, have your party. Uh, um, go and search them out <laughs> yeah i think that's hilarious their bones are particularly soft and crunchy <laughs> um the other thing is you know when it comes to strategy if you're running 
or if you're utilizing a shambling mound, they're not the fastest of creatures. So it's definitely one of those where they would probably come out like sneaking up on a, on a, on your party and surprising them. They're definitely not going to be the type that's going to like chase after them or anything like that. Um, yeah, they, it, they've got a 20 speed, so they're jef- definitely gonna not going to win any speed records. Maybe you have a slow <laughs> member of your party that they could catch up to, but... <laughs> yeah, catch them when they're sleeping, I don't know. Um, another really interesting little thing about uh, Shambling Mounds that I really like, and it's just that resiliency of it, right? And this happens with a lot of my plants, by the way, um, is that when they get close to death, those root systems um, can actually recover and come back. So the root systems will perhaps look dead, um, but then it's going to end up recovering and coming back. So you may have thought that you killed that shambling mound. You were wrong. That shambling mound is coming right back. It's a perennial plant, my friends. So make sure it's <laughs> dead when you kill it. Yeah, and that's something that's uh, that's specifically noted in the in the D and D monster manual. Um, but it's something that if if I do a a a, a, a shambling mound and, and pathfinder it's something that i may bring over there because i think that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> because one of the things that we talked about was was uh, a potential kind of simple plot hook for a uh, for a shambling mound is like people that live near a swamp saying that the wildlife is disappearing and hire the adventurers to go and take care of it and maybe they they kill it and don't realize that they have to kill that root stem and they, mm-hmm. they go back and a, a day or two later, the Shambling Mound's back at it, but the party's already collected their golds. The, the, the villagers are pissed off at them. <laughs> right? I think it's just hilarious. That would be just a really funny circumstance to put them in. Um, I would say, especially considering the challenge rating, you know, this is, and one reason why I picked this monster was, you know, my, my group right now is at the point where they're going from, you know, level four to level five. And I wanted to try and present creatures that were original and not just so straightforward in that you know you fight them and you kill them and that's it like I wanted to give them a little challenge and so the shambling mound is really cool because it offers that challenge not only is it a multi-attack creature but there's consequences to getting close to it you know it may not go the way that you think and then the really fun plot twist at the end is that maybe you didn't actually kill it (laughs) so yeah I I think I love it yeah, I think that for the first several levels, it's really easy to get into this uh, this method where they're running into monsters, which even if they haven't haven't uh, maybe encountered them as a as a player, they've heard about them and they kind of know about them, and it's fairly straightforward. So when you mm-hmm. can start pulling in monsters that maybe you're a little trickier to deal with, mm-hmm. or just have uh, some additional challenges, I think it can be uh, be pretty interesting. Exactly. You got it right there on the nail on the head. <laughs> okay, uh, next one I think is over to you, John. Yeah, and I I did choose a monster that is kind of like uh, really out there in the lore. I think that uh, if you've if you've done uh, Lord of the Rings kind of kind of things or mm. or uh, the Hobbit, you probably know the troll. Um, even if you've never played a, a game of D anD D in your life. Um, <laughs> Uh, for, but uh, these guys are, are fairly big. They're usually about 14 feet tall, weighing somewhere around 1,000 pounds, and they have a huge appetite because they've got to basically continue to feed their gigantic body. <laughs> so they're, they're basically 
hunters and they're going to eat um whatever they can whatever they can kill and 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 eat um hmm. so much like the shambling man who's really just going at it for the food <laughs> straightforward <laughs> yep um the uh the, the CR in both systems is is 5 so uh mm. pretty pretty decent all around um and and really the focus of the troll is going to be a high strength high dex and high con um just again they're they're kind of that straight ahead kill the thing eat it uh go forward um and then mm-hmm. the rest of the stats are going to be kind of below below average um Somewhere middle of the road, AC, 15, 16-ish, and uh, and a decent number of hit points. But the number of hit points, as we'll talk about here in a minute, are not going to matter as much. Um, because when you get into their special abilities, uh, the first one we're going to talk about is regeneration. Um, mm. So, as, yeah, as long as, as long as they're not getting damaged by acid or fire... Um, that troll is going to regenerate every turn. Uh, in in D they're going to regenerate ten hit points a turn. In Pathfinder, it's five. Uh, so you can hit it, and it's still going to, regardless of the fact that that it's uh, not not super, but not bad HP. That's going to be better because they're going to keep on regenerating. Mm-hmm. Such a weird little quirk. <laughs> yep. Um, in uh, in in Pathfinder, they have an ability called Rend. So uh, they have a multi-attack where they can attack with both claws. And if both claws hit, um, they can do an additional uh, 1d6 plus 7 damage as the troll basically rips your flesh apart. Um, <laughs> so pretty gruesome, but it's it just adds to the adds to the challenge of the monster. If they if they hit you both times, you're uh, you're you're taking some more damage. Mm-hmm. Um. Within within the D and D world, there there's something that's listed. I, I don't know if this would be considered a special ability, but it's listed in kind of the description on the monster page called Troll Freaks. <laughs> and, oh my god! And basically, it, it says because they're regenerating um, in very rare instances, they could have a mutation. So, um, if you wanted to have a unique kind of troll maybe give the troll some sort of special ability or multiple arms multiple heads um this would allow you to do that uh it doesn't necessarily talk about specific rules for for what you would do or how you would do it so it's kind of open to you the dm what would you uh what kind of power would you give the troll felicia I don't know that I would give a power. We talked about this before where I was like, you know, when Deadpool where like he regenerates his like hand back and it's like this tiny little baby hand. Like that's just that's just something I would think as like a moment of humor where it's like, ah, you know, um, that's probably what I would end up doing with this, this scenario. But, you know, that's that's yep. <laughs> that's my uh, my character. So, yep. Uh, so as we said before, they do have uh, multi-attack. Um, mm-hmm. So they can, if they use multi-attack, they can make three attacks, a, a bite and two claws. Um, and then don't forget uh, Rend if the, both of those claw attacks hit. hit. Uh, one of the D&D things that I really like that I would probably use uh, the next time I bring a, a troll into a Pathfinder game uh, is a variant rule um, where when you do 15 or more points of damage... Um, you you roll on this table and determine if you severed a limb and mm-hmm. which limb you severed. So the the options in D and D are are leg, arm, and head. <laughs> um, and, and basically, when you do that, uh, each limb has its own speed, AC, and hit points. 
and um, and they can become a participant in combat. So the leg can't really attack, but it can move. The arm can attack and move, and then the head can attack but not move. <laughs> so it's like Thing from the Adams family. Yeah. So I mean, it it it, it takes a a combat encounter that that could appear fairly straightforward and that you've got this one enemy you're attacking it yeah he's regenerating but we're doing all right we're doing all right all right vlad got a huge hit wait what (laughs) and then the arm starts attacking you um so you go from one to to more enemies um and and if you and as as you may know, if you don't destroy all the pieces of the troll, the troll can still regenerate, even mm-hmm. if there's just a little bitty bit left. So, like a toe. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> and then we we said this before. You mentioned this earlier, but we'll reemphasize it again specifically. Remember, if you attack it with fire or acid, then it will not regenerate um, when you hit it with that. Yep. Yep. So. So. One of those things where, uh, again, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of folks probably have some metagaming knowledge there. So it's it's as the DM kind of your your call as to whether the 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 character may know that if they choose to, mm-hmm. to do that. I, I think that you could probably make the justification that there's lots of rumors and stories in in the land about trolls and how to kill them. So they might mm-hmm. know it already. So common knowledge kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, now you you were talking about um, when we were talking about how you know the trolls' habits and behaviors um, that you know kind of similar to a, a shambling mound that they can be solitary, right? Yeah, they typically are. Um, um, now in in Pathfinder, it does mention like a family structure where the female trolls raise the baby trolls, and so sometimes hmm. you could potentially Aww. find them together. But the males, it says, they typically are solitary and live on their own. Um, in fact, to the point where um, if another troll goes into their hunting ground, they they may fight each other. Um, not necessarily to kill each other, but just to like scare the guy off. Uh, get out of my get out my get out of my hunting ground. Like a tiger. Yep. <laughs> um, so as we just kind of briefly mentioned, there they do o- occupy usually a fairly large area because they are hunting for a lot of food to keep their massive body fed (laughs) Mm. um and uh and because they have dark vision to 60 feet and and pretty high bonuses to perception um, they're going to typically hunt at night and use that darkness to allow them to uh to to attack food sources and and have like the upper hand in those in those cases perfect opportunity when your group settles in for the night yep (laughs) and uh and because they have that regeneration capability, they're not gonna, they're not gonna hold back. They're just gonna wade into battle and be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking you. Take this." <laughs> <laughs> kind of a and, go big or go home mentality. Yeah, and and attacking the the nearest creature because it is, uh, it is really they're attacking for for food. So, mm-hmm. um, attack that creature, kill it dead, eat it, kind of thing. D e d dead. Yep. <laughs> Now speaking of DED dead, uh, there I, I would say what have a little bit of intelligence, right? I mean enough maybe for some common sense knowledge. Yeah, um, some intelligence, a little bit of wisdom, um, um, uh, but like I said, they're they're hunting for food, so they're not looking to see, hey, this guy is the guy that looks like he can do the most damage. They're just like, <laughs> this guy looks like good food, and he's near me. I'm going to and attack he, them, and he doesn't have fire on him, so. 
Yeah, and 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 exactly. Good point is that uh, that they don't they don't like fire, but it's not necessarily going to deter them from attacking. But if you've got two targets that are both fairly fairly uh, same distance apart, they're going to go after the guy that doesn't have the fire. That's just I think just kind of a common sense on the on the troll thing. I, you know, I think most people will probably go with towards the person who doesn't have fire. So yeah. <laughs> um, and then you did mention about like. Um, the idea of retreat when you were utilizing your trolls. It was a pretty interesting strategy. Yeah. So I, I kind of think that because they're, they're hunting for food, um, they're not, uh, when, when they're, when they're fighting like the players, they're not necessarily looking to chase them off the land or have some sort of, of blood honor that they're trying to, to hold to. Um, so if you do enough damage to them, I feel like they're gonna, they're gonna run. Um, mm. and the rule of thumb I use was about 50%, but again, depending upon your game, your trolls, you could adjust that up or down. It's not any sort of official rule, but I feel like they're going to run because I would, they would rather live to, to, to hunt another day and mm-hmm. go a little bit hungry than to try and fight to the bitter end and, and die for their, for their Big Mac. Um, <laughs> for the, yeah. The, the cause of the Big Mac. Yeah. I don't think they uh, have much in the way of ideals. <laughs> And the important thing to note is if they run away, um, they're going to heal faster than the party. So they could still come back around while the party's still trying to heal up. So something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. It's a really good, uh, a good little monster. Well, big monster, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I would definitely be interested in trying it in one of my future campaigns because I do like the regeneration aspect and I'm always finding new ways to challenge my players. So I think it was a good choice. Yep. Um, and, and honestly, the reason I picked it was because of that regeneration. It, it makes something mm. that's uh, that looks like it may be fairly straightforward, a bit tougher to kill. And I, 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 as I mentioned, I really like the variant rules where you can chop off limbs and they can fight independently. I think that's pretty cool. And it's such opportunity for humor to be interjected. And I just, <laughs> you know me, I love funny scenarios. So I, I love that about the troll. That's pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> It wouldn't be an episode of Becoming DM if we didn't mention our friends at Darkwind. Darkwind's sponsorship of the show helps pay for all the things that keep Becoming DM running. If you want to say thanks, go to play.darkwind.org and create a character today. Join in on the multiplayer, text-based role-playing game that you can play with friends, or if you're feeling a little antisocial, play on your own. Join and play for free at play.darkwind.org. Now let's get back to the show. All right, well, next up um, is my second choice for the episode. Um, I, I don't know. I love this creature so much, and I came across it when I was doing a campaign relatively recently for my group, um, and it was kept as uh, sort of as a display and um, in, in a dungeon, and I thought that, man, this is like a really cool creature to come across. It was my first time utilizing it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you the Black Pudding. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Um, so black pudding, I just, it was so hilarious. And I love, I love just its, its versatility and its resiliency. Kind of similar reasons why I appreciate the um, shambling mound. But this gooey mound of blob-like black sludge just kind of stole my heart. Um, <laughs> and I tend to do quite a few... Uh, 
you know, scenarios that involve going in dim passageways and dungeons and abandoned fortresses and underground tunnels, just a lot of ideal scenarios where a black pudding would be the perfect creature to kind of insert uh, to challenge your players. So I, I came across this in one of my recent campaigns and I was quite delighted uh, with the encounter. So uh, on with the statistics though. Um, so Hold for on, D&D, before you do oh, that, I, I do want to make note of one little thing. Um, if you're looking for this in the monster manual, it's in the section mm. for oozes, uh, which is yes. uh, page like 241-ish in the... In the uh, uh, D&D Monster Manual in in Pathfinder it does have you can find it just by looking for black pudding in the in the uh, in the uh, table of contents but the one thing I wanted to point out which just was immensely entertaining to me as I read through the black pudding uh, stat block and it it talks about its skills and stuff and it and it doesn't refer to it as black pudding when it does that it just says something for instance when a pudding that is medium or larger is subjected to lightning, and I just, just I don't know why, it just made me laugh when it just, just says, when a pudding. Pudding. <laughs> you, sir, with your pudding. Yeah, it, uh, it's just, and I think just the name in and of itself is, it just, it kind of makes you chuckle. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, you know, it, it ends up killing all your, your players, and maybe not so funny after all, <laughs> for them anyways. <laughs> um, but yes, good side note, it is of the species of ooze, So um, if you are looking for stats that you know how to best utilize it in your campaign um, for D&D, just make sure you do um, look it up under that category. So, um, but yes, so continuing with stats uh, for D&D, we have got a CR rating of, uh, well, a CR of four and Pathfinder is a lot higher. So it's a seven. Um, We've got, you know, it's about the same. I mean, similar anyways, like strength. Paran, same. Constitution, it's going to be a bit of a disparity. So 16 for D&D, 22 for Pathfinder. And, I mean, you've got the other stats as well, but it's all relatively low, so I don't really think worth commenting on too much. Um, The one thing to comment on about the low stats is the intelligence is so low that in Pathfinder, (laughs) it is just notated as a dash. There is no number. It's just a dash. Doesn't even have, like, the, the intelligence. It's just... It's just there. Yep. As an ooze. It's like the blob. You remember the movie The Blob? Yep, yep, yep. Making his way downtown, you know? <laughs> um, but all along those same lines, you know, yes, it is a creature that, you know, acts largely on instinct. So it's not one of those creatures where, you know, you can try and persuade or intimidate. It's just going to keep doing its little black pudding thing. Um, it is amorphous. So, or at least in D&D anyways. So it can move into pretty narrow spaces. As long as you've got an inch to work with, it can squeeze through no problem. Uh, and we're assuming this kind of goes for Pathfinder as well, right? Yeah, it's not called out, but I, I feel like you're talking about something called pudding. <laughs> I feel <Yeah. laughs> like it could probably do something like that. The squishiness seems to translate across all forms, but hey. Um, the other thing I really loved, loved, loved about this was that it's corrosive. So if you have a character, a player that gets close to hit it, it's going to take acid damage. And not only does your player take acid damage, but their weapon takes uh, damage as well. And if that weapon happens to take enough damage, it's going to be pretty much useless. Uh, so I just thought that was a really like fun little add-on for like a black pudding in that um, 
there's consequences to attacking it. And when it comes to the damage for the weapon, um, it'll take a negative one penalty to damage rolls. And if it goes below or if it drops to negative five, your weapon is done. It's destroyed. There's just no coming back from it. Uh, and these are non-magical weapons, by the way. I feel like I should specify that. Um, and uh, when it comes to the acid damage for your players, um, it'll take either four or 1d8, you choose, uh, damage for your players. So, you know, quite a lot of consequence for trying to, like, slice this thing, you know? Yep. Within within Pathfinder, the, the character does not take um, take the damage if, if it's just the weapon hitting, but the weapon does take an amount of damage, and then if it remains in there for the next turn, it takes a pretty significant amount, like 21 damage uh, on mm-hmm. the second turn within Pathfinder. Yep. And uh, either way, consequences, so. Yep, yep. <laughs> One of the other skills of a black pudding is its spider climb. So I feel like this kind of stands to reason. But, you know, not only can it squeeze in tight spaces, but it can also climb many different surfaces. It can climb the walls. It can hang on to the ceiling. I would just like to emphasize to any of my players that may be listening, you better keep looking (laughs) up. (laughs) It could be a sturge. It could be a black pudding. Who knows? Um So another very interesting thing, um, and this is kind of related, I'll kind of hit this part first, is that your black pudding does have uh, various immunities. Um, So some of its immunities, acid, cold, lightning, and slashing. So when it comes to damage immunities, not only does it not have or has immunity against, um, was it lightning and slashing? So not only does that not do anything to it, but what's going to happen is when you do that to your pudding, (laughs) this sounds funny when you say it, uh, but when you do that to your pudding, slashing or lightning, it's going to split. Now, as long as it has 10 hit points is kind of when this whole situation comes into effect. But if your your pudding has at least 10 hit points and it gets slashed or it gets hit by lightning, it's going to split into two puddings. And then those hit points will get equally distributed between the two. Um, So, you know, it'll each have half of, uh, what it originally had is a whole pudding. And then now you're dealing with two smaller puddings. So just kind of a word to the wise. Careful what you hit it with. If you hit them enough, you'll get a little pudding cup. Aw, if you get oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> ah, cute. Um so yeah, so it's got blind side of sixty feet. Uh and then of course, like I said, we mentioned it's corrosion. Um it does have immunities, condition immunities, of course, as well. Uh, you know, it can be blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened. And these, a lot of it just goes back to it's it's really an instinctive creature. It just doesn't have the mental capacity to be subjected to any of those types of things. So just something to keep in mind when you're, uh, you know, uh, dealing with a pudding. Yep. So in Pathfinder, it's not uh, immune to the acid cold lightning, mm. uh, but it is immune to slashing and piercing attacks. So just a little bit of difference, something to keep in mind if you're swapping between systems. <laughs> so you can poke it with a stick. No, you can't poke it with a stick. That what if it's a sharp piercing. stick? Like, uh, that's true. Well, okay, I guess I'm speaking <laughs> D&D because, you know, D&D specifically, it says slashing. And I had the question of piercing, actually, uh, when we were kind of going through that. And it's interesting that Pathfinder specifically mentions piercing as well as slashing yep so like arrow attacks would uh Mm -hmm. would uh be be difficult Mm -hmm. exactly 
Um, so I mentioned before, you're going to find them in a lot of underground, dark places. Uh, you had mentioned when we were talking about in conversations that a lot of times they're used in traps, like luring your unsuspecting players into some sort of pit trap. And then, bam, all of a sudden they're stuck with a, a black pudding. Yeah. Um, and in order to do that, you'd have to have a creature that lures the unsuspecting black pudding into the pit mm-hmm. trap. And occasionally feeds them crap. <laughs> exactly. So if you've got like a, a warlock or a disgruntled wizard, I don't know. But uh, someone who decides to keep a black pudding as a mm, non-traditional pet, I suppose. Uh, you know, opportunity there. Um, you know, your black puddings, again, they're not particularly fast. So similar to Shambling Mound, they're really just going to kind of chill and hang around until they happen to come across something that is just unfortunate enough to, <laughs> to come face to face with it. Um, so that's essentially their strategy when it comes to, uh, or their tactics when it comes to how they hunt. Um, you know, the thing again, they're dark and they can hang on all sorts of places. So you'll find them on walls and ceilings. So just, uh, something to keep in mind if you decide to go down that dark tunnel. Yeah, and keep in mind, in in dimly lit rooms, they can be mistaken for shadows uh, just when they're mm-hmm. sitting there. So, Exactly. And the last thing that I would like to mention about black puddings is, unlike your trolls, which have some common sense to stop, you know, when things aren't looking up for them, your black pudding is just going to kind of keep going. They don't really have, like, the ability to really understand that they're losing a fight, so they're just going to keep going until they're just completely dead. Um, so they're not going to stop Or fighting. they're full. <laughs> or they're full, yeah. And, you know, when they've gotten something in their bellies, I, I don't really know what the anatomy of a in, black pudding is. In their pudding, I mean. In their pudding, yeah. <laughs> um, they're just going to keep digesting, and at that point, they're probably going to stop attacking because they're in the middle of eating, and, you know, it's just not good for digestion, so. But similar for the Shambling Mound, I just chose it for those reasons. It's a very, um, you know not straightforward, challenging creature to fight just because of all the things that could throw your players off. Uh, it, you know, it's something that I ha- really enjoyed when I had my last campaign as far as, like, presenting something to my players, so. Yep. So I think you've got the stage now, John. Yeah, so uh, the next one that I have is the Displacer Beast. And um, last time we did a My Favorite Monster, I had a I had a monster that was only in Pathfinder. So I thought it was only fair that this episode I have a monster that is only in D&D. So, um, <laughs> so Displacer Beast has been in D&D for a number of years, number of versions. Um, so we're going to be talking about the 5e one, of course. Um, but uh, if, you're, if you're in Pathfinder, you're like, ah, and I wish we had something like that. They do have monsters that are similar, uh, like the, the Kamadon. Kamadan? I don't know how to say that. Yeah, I'm the worst uh, at pronouncing these. <laughs> so if you wanted to go, it, it's in the it's in the uh, it's in the SRD. So you can take a look there and and, and find it uh, if you wanted to have something similar. Mm-hmm. But let's get to the Displacer Beast. It's it's basically <laughs> a a large uh, blue black cat that has six legs and uh, a couple tentacles sprouting from its shoulders. So it's a uh, it's a bit of a monstrosity there. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and it gets its name because it has the ability to um, displace light and create kind of an illusion of itself that is uh, a couple of feet away from where it's at. Um, um, so displacer beast. Hey, look at that. Um, AKA dyed kitten with Barbie legs attached. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so uh, statistics, it's a it's a CR3 monster um, primarily focused on that uh, strength, dex, and constitution uh, stats. The rest aren't terrible, but they're not great. So um, something to keep in mind. It does have a fairly low AC of 13, but um, as we'll talk about here in a minute, it does have some some abilities that, that sometimes help offset that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a fairly respectable 85 hit points for a CR3 monster. Quite respectable, sir. Yep. So it really only has a, a handful of special abilities. It's not like some of the things we've discussed before where it's like mm. this long, long list. Um, the first one is going to be avoidance. So uh, I know that that rogues kind of have a similar ability. I don't remember what it's called right now, even though mm. we talked about it a few episodes ago. <laughs> um, basically, for effects that, that allow it to take half damage on a saving throw, um, it takes none if it's successful, and it takes half its, if it's unsuccessful. So oh, lobbing okay, a fireball okay. at it, if it successfully does its dex saving throw, no damage for that fireball. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, additionally, displacement. We talked about the uh, magical illusion of itself standing near its location, mm. uh, but basically what that affords it is that attacks against it are at disadvantage. So um, makes it harder to to hit it, uh, even though it's got a 13 AC. Um, but if it is hit, then uh, any other attacks um, until the end of its next turn don't have to roll it at, uh, at disadvantage because the illusion is broken and until it has a chance to reestablish it, it's out of luck. Nice, so. okay. Um, so I would actually consider that a weakness of the Displacer Beast is that because it has a low AC... Um, if if uh, if you hit it even with your um, with your um, uh, disadvantage, uh, then everybody else gets a, a chance at it. Additionally, because it's just applying disadvantage, uh, if your if your character has advantage for one reason or another, then they cancel each other out, and it's just a regular attack roll. Um, again, th- if you hit, all the other players don't have to have advantage. Suddenly, they can just roll normal. <laughs> mm, nice. Well, and. Um... You were saying, like, uh, with a low AC, like, I mean, if you, it seems like, you know, if, if you don't really have that displacement ability, it's one of those creatures that, like, you know, without that displacement skill, it's, it seems like it'd be pretty quick to kill off. Yeah, it could be. Um, now, the thing to keep in mind is it does have reach on its tentacle attacks, so it can attack ah. uh, from 10 feet away, so it doesn't have to be adjacent. So you could potentially do some, some hit and run attacks, uh, hit from 10 feet away, and then run away without having to. Uh, deal with attacks of opportunity or anything like that. So that is, uh, at least for the beginning of combat, affords it some some uh, some uh, space there. But as soon as you guys start, as soon as the players start advancing on it, it's gonna they'll catch up soon enough, and and uh, that that kind of goes away. Well, and like our previous mentions, it also is a multi-attack type of yes. creature as well. Since you mentioned those tentacles. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it gets uh, gets two attacks with those tentacles when it uses uh, when it uses multi attack. So is that like a three attack? Like you bite, and then each tentacle gets its chance. It uh, you know I looking at the picture of it, you would think that it has a bite attack, but no, it just gets the tentacle attacks. I guess it just doesn't like to bite things unless it's eating. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it likes to keep its teeth nice and clean and pristine, so it's not going to dirty it with your with your players. Yeah. Um, so generally speaking, if, uh, if your players are encountering, encountering them, 
They're going to typically be found in wooded areas. Uh, mm. In the lore in, in the D&D book, it, uh, it talks about how they used to live in the Fae and were kind of chased out and they, they made their way into the material plane. Um, so I guess if you were in the Fae Wild, you could maybe experience them there. If you had an adventure going on there, uh, they'd just be a little rare, rarer, I think. Mm. Uh, um, um, they can be sometimes found as uh, as pets of intelligent creatures, as long as there's some sort of agreement between them as to why they would hang around. Um, but I would also say that they could just as easily turn on their intelligent uh, intelligent master if they got sick of hanging around there. Well, and then you mentioned to me also that, like, unlike our, again, previous mentions, these actually can hunt in packs. Yes. And I really like uh, creatures that can hunt hunt in packs. That's actually one of the first reasons I started down the Displacer Beast uh, role, just mm. because you have a lot more um, options for for tactics and what they do that is is different than just a straight-ahead attack. Um now, with their stats, they're not super intelligent or anything like that. But I think I feel like um, they have a high enough wisdom that they can they can, based on some instinct, understand um, understand some basic ways of of attacking with with some pack tactics and mm-hmm. and luring people into a spot where the rest of the pack attacks and understanding to attack the elderly and the young and the ones that are on their own rather than a whole <laughs> group uh, things like that. I feel like they can they can definitely do. Um, so that's those are things that you should probably keep in mind when you're thinking about tactics for this displacer beast. I really like the um, the 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 attack and then run to to get the the party to to follow you into the area where there are three or four other displacer beast buddies are there to pounce on them. Um, but whatever makes sense for your game. <laughs> <laughs> Clever girl. <laughs> um, and and actually, a very feline trait for them, you know, is that depending their hunt is like, you know, is it, are they hunting for sport? Are they hunting because they're hungry? Mm-hmm. And you've got that bit of variety. I think that, you know, if you're utilizing a displacer beast, um, you know, and, and you're placing your characters in front of one that there's, you know, a different way that you can approach combat with them because it really just, just depends on like why they're there and why they're hunting your players. Yeah. Cause if they're, if they're just there for sport, they're going to, they're going to, for lack of a better term, they're going to play with the party. They're going to, they're going to hit and run. They're going to basically, um, annoy them and, and see if they make a mistake kind of thing, but they're not, they're not going to be super invested in it where, um, for food, um, they may just attack the nearest target cause they're hungry and, and that's the one they're going to go at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if they, if that target goes unconscious or dies, they're going to pick them up and carry them away to eat them. And that's that, my friends. <laughs> yep. Um, and then you're, this choice, kind of like your troll, uh, you were saying that like, hey, they can recognize when they're at a disadvantage, like when the combat's not going their way, and they can also possibly retreat, right? Yeah, I think that would be more uh, when they're hunting for sport because mm. they're they're just kind of having fun. Um I mean, you can make a decision in your game if it makes sense for them to to also flee when they're when they're hunting for food. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that um, again, this is really more based on their wisdom than t- intelligence and just having that instinct. I think that mm-hmm. the the wisdom is is probably there enough to to be able to do that. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, I can definitely appreciate that. And it's really funny that like we both <laughs> chose 
different creatures in that respect where it's like i just chose creatures that were practically nothing but instinct and hunger and you chose ones that were like yeah we could be hungry but we can also have just enough intelligence to either run away (laughs) or you know recognize hey this isn't working out for me yep yep nice I think that was pretty much our four choices for this episode. And I think they were all amazingly wonderful, excellent choices for various reasons. So I uh, hope you guys are able to utilize them in your campaigns and, you know, give your players a little challenge. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So hope you enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. until next time, stay nerdy, stay friends. nerdy friends. Thanks for joining us again. As always, it really helps when you share the show with friends to help increase our listenership. Send them to our website, becomingdm.com, or Facebook. We are facebook.com slash becomingdm. And on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.